from him who by his life and death and resurrection frees us from all of our prisons. Be all grace and mercy and peace. Amen. Our gospel reading for this morning is our text, especially these words of Jesus as he quotes the prophet Isaiah. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. This is our text. About a mile off of the coast of southeastern France, there sits this tiny little island at the end of the Friul Archipelago. And the entirety of the island is comprised of a single fortress that was built way back in the 1520s. It's called the Chateau Deaf. Maybe you've heard of it. The fortress is heavily fortified with three strong towers and high walls that overlook steep cliffs that drop right down straight into the ocean. This place served as a military station for a time, but it's most famous for being used as a prison. It's used as a prison because it is almost impossible, in fact, it probably is impossible, for anybody to escape the place. Its location and the dangerous offshore currents have made it ideal for preventing any kind of escape. In the 19th century, the Chateau d'If was used to detain political and religious enemies of the state, and the accommodations there were dismal. They were crude. The food was horrible, and there was hardly any of it at all. Life at this island was grim, making it one of the most feared and notorious jails in the 19th century. And the lower dungeon cells were dug out deep beneath the fortress. There were no windows. There was no chance of contact with anybody in the outside world. And that prison became very, very famous in the 19th century when Alexander Dumas wrote a novel about it called The Count of Monte Cristo. You've probably heard of that. If you've read the book or have seen the movie, you know that the main character in Dumas' classic book, in fact, does escape the prison, which helps us to know that it is actually a work of fiction because nobody ever escaped the Chateau d'If. Its captives had no chance, no way out, absolutely no hope whatsoever. Captivity was not uncommon at all in the Bible. Read your way through the Old Testament and the New Testament. You will see God's people as a group and God's people as individuals held captive in bondage as slaves. As we just heard this morning, there was the slavery of Egypt when they were under the rule of the Pharaoh, when they had oppressive taskmasters all over them and they cried out to God for deliverance. Later on in the Old Testament, there was the captivity in Babylon when Nebuchadnezzar came in and sacked Jerusalem and exiled all of God's people, at least most of them, into the land of Babylon where they had to live in a foreign land and under foreign rule. Of course, in the days of Jesus, God's people had to live under the thumb of the Roman Empire and its governors and rulers. The people of God knew captivity. They knew it as a group, 
but we also read about individuals in the Bible who knew captivity. In the Old Testament, we read about Jeremiah and Joseph and Daniel. And then we get to the New Testament when we hear about John the Baptist and the apostles Peter and Paul. None of these people were residents of the Chateau d'If, but they certainly knew what it meant to be held captive. They knew what it meant to long for, to look forward to freedom. They understood the helplessness experienced by those who had little or no hope of any chance for escape. Now, unlike them, we live in the land of the free. We're not captive, thank the Lord. We, we don't serve foreign masters. We enjoy the freedom of living in a country where we can do whatever we want. We live under our own rule, under our own sovereign rights, fully autonomous and utterly, incredibly, entirely independent, right? Wrong. Well, maybe not. Regarding our government, we do live in a system of relative self-governments. Remember, of the people, by the people, for the people. But that doesn't mean that we're, by any means, free of captivity. In fact, today I'd like to help you consider the fact that we do know what it means to be imprisoned, to be held captive, to live under the oppression of foreign masters. But our captivity is, of course, different than having to live in the Chateau d'If or being under the taskmasters in Egypt. Our taskmasters are a little bit more insidious. Our taskmasters are those of greed or lust or a desire for more. We suffer for this kind of insatiable longing for more stuff for more pleasure, for more recognition. You can think of many examples, I'm sure. How about these? It's a father who can't stop taking on more work, either because he needs more and more money to live up to the lifestyle that his family has become accustomed to, or because his reputation is never secure enough to let him relax. Or it's the woman who can't stop filling her closet, her, who can't stop working out because she's captive of an image of herself from 10 or 15 years ago. Or it's the teenage girl who can't stop checking her Instagram account because she keeps on looking for more likes on her posts. Or it's the teenage boy who is imprisoned by his phone and the images that it delivers way too easily. These people are captive, not in a prison or in a foreign land, but, but they're just as stuck. They are just as confined. They are just as helpless. And there are other prisons, too, like the unhealthy relationship you can't get out of or the addictive behavior that overpowers the force of the will that you have to try to get out of it or the dead-end job that you can't live with or you can't live without. I'm afraid all of us know captivity far too well. This Lent, we're trying to find ways to confess the gospel 
in short, succinct summaries. We're trying to find words, seven words to be exact, with which we might proclaim what God has done for me, what he has done for all of us in Jesus. There are actually all different kinds of ways that we can do that. As we read the scripture, we encounter all different kinds of images and metaphors and descriptions about God's work of salvation for us. We read about the good shepherd who goes out, leaves all the other sheep behind just so he can find that one lost sheep. We read about the suffering servant taking on our punishment. We read about a God speaking through a prophet to breathe life into dead bones and they rattle together and they get up and they live and they dance before the Lord. What an incredible picture that is. We read about the Lamb of God who reigns on his throne for you and me. Any of these could help us summarize the gospel in seven words. But today I want us to kind of think about this with the background of all the prisons we've been talking about. As we do so, our, our gospel lesson from the Gospel of Luke gives us a little bit of direction. In that gospel lesson for today from Luke chapter 4, we read about one of Jesus' first recorded sermons. And this is how Luke tells us about it. He unrolled the scroll and found the place where it was written, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me. Because he has anointed me to preach the good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering of sight of the blind. To set at liberty those who are oppressed. To proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And he rolls up the scroll, gives it back to the attendant and sits down. And the eyes of everybody in the synagogue are right there fixed on Jesus. And he says to them, Today, this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. And the Bible tells us that people were amazed. They wondered. They marveled. They were amazed at the authority that Jesus used when he spoke. And I have to believe that the wonder, the amazement, at least part of it, part of the reason that they marveled was the imagery that Jesus used, that he picked up from the prophet Isaiah. It was so poignant. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives. Here sit these people under Roman oppression, and their eyes perk up. Their eyes light up. Their minds are beginning to be freed. One way to describe the good news of Jesus is just that, that he freezes people. He frees you and me from all of our captivities. Now, earlier I mentioned some of the prisons in which we live, greed or popularity or addiction, and behind every single one of those prisons is sin. Paul talks about that in Romans 7. We were just talking about it in our Bible study on Wednesday morning a couple weeks ago. In that chapter, Paul describes his experience as a Christian and the struggle that he goes through. He he describes how badly he wants to live faithfully, how he wants to live a good life in Jesus, but how his sinful heart keeps compelling him to follow after those sinful desires. But in the end, he recognizes just how hopeless and helpless he is to overcome that struggle. 
He says, wretched man that I am, who's going to deliver me from this body of death? Who can secure this release? Who can deliver me from guilt and shame? Who can rescue me from a life of service to sin? Who can set me free? And of course, he comes to the conclusion, thanks be to God, who does that for me through Jesus Christ, my Savior. I am set free, Paul says. Thanks be to God who freed Paul who frees us from everything that imprisons us, from sin, from death, from despair, from selfishness. He has freed us through his life and death and resurrection, and he continues to free us from every single prison, every single master, every single captor. So how do we say that in seven words? It's right there in front of you. Jesus frees us from all our prisons. In Psalm 34, David wrote about that. He says, when the righteous cry for help, the Lord hears and delivers them out of all their troubles. The Lord is near to the brokenhearted and saves the crushed in spirit. Many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivers him out of them all. So the good news for us today is that the Lord Jesus frees us from everything and anything that holds us captive. Through the might of his word, through his glory, for our good. Jesus frees us from sin and death and the devil so that we might live under him and with him and for him and for others in freedom and in love so that we might share his freedom, the freedom that he gives to us with everybody and anybody in our lives who needs release from the captivity that they have in their lives. Jesus frees us from all our prisons And he frees them too, those people that we see every day who live under one form or another of captivity. We proclaim the good news of Jesus' freedom to them. So this is just one more way to proclaim the gospel. But I don't want it to stop you from thinking about other ways. Your homework assignment again this week is to keep and continue thinking about the seven words you want to use that are personal and individual from you and for you. A number of you have already shared your seven-word statements with me, and they are fantastic. I'm hearing some really good ones. So keep on working on those confessions and keep on reflecting on God's love for you in Christ and the way that Jesus frees you from your prisons. And keep preparing to share the hope that you have In Jesus as your Savior, in his name, amen.